0: Shelter from the storm. Welcome to the Shelter from the Storm podcast, a daily walk through the Bible with me, Pastor Jason Poling, as we seek shelter in Jesus Christ from the storms of this life. It's a great day to glorify God. This is Pastor Jason Poling coming to you again with the Shelter from the Storm podcast a daily deep dive, brief deep dive into God's Word. And uh, we have been away for quite some time, uh, just needed a couple of weeks off. There's just so much uh, going on here these days with uh, getting church back in order and getting people back into the into the building. And we've been doing a lot of stuff online I'm right now, streaming to twitch.tv backslash Pastor Jaypo, J-A-Y-P-O, and some other platforms as well and just trying to learn a lot of technology quick. I'm kind of tech savvy. I'm kind of a geek, kind of a nerd like that, but I'm an old nerd. And so this is just taking a lot of effort here. But what I'm doing right now, I want to dive into God's Word. I'm always in the New American Standard version when I've been doing this podcast, so you can uh, turn to that. But any translation uh, that you have will work. But I'm in the New American Standard. I think that's one of the most accurate translations of Scripture. So we are in Mark chapter 9, and of course, the first eight chapters. And If you haven't caught up to uh, where we're at, you can go back and listen to that on any podcasting platform and find the Shelter from the Storm podcast. Um, you can also go on our YouTube channel for Cornerstone Church of Yuba City and find all those. We walk through the first eight chapters, and in those eight chapters, we saw Jesus begin to reveal himself. Right? He comes on the scene, the very first chapter of Mark. Uh, John the Baptist reveals him, and he starts to do miracles and all kinds of uh, healings and casting out demons, you know, showing that he definitely has some kind of otherworldly power. He hadn't revealed himself yet because he didn't want the people to get uh, worked up in their fervor for casting out Rome. They were only thinking about, which is typical. you see that in our culture today too, about physical kingdoms, physical powers, and political, Maneuverings. And so he did not want them to even go down that path because that's not what he came to do. He did not come to establish a physical Israel in that land and to dominate the world like uh, David and Solomon did. He did, he came to do something much more profound to bring the kingdom of God down to the kingdom of man. And as we see in the book of Revelation, those things will come together when all things have been put under the feet of God the Father by the power of Jesus Christ, as we see in First Corinthians 15. And so, uh, where we ended up in Mark 8 8 was a pivotal chapter. It's where Peter makes his great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and then he blows it right? This is typical Peter typical us. I love that Peter uh, is in there as a disciple and as an elite disciple because we are so like him. I'm constantly up and down with God and so he uh, proclaims Jesus which is the whole the whole point. this is who he really is, the Messiah the Son of God, the God-man. And then he can't handle Jesus's missional statement. Jesus is very clear about why he came. He came to die so that we could, in Mark chapter 1, repent of our sins, receive salvation and the cleansing for those sins, uh, repent of our sins, and then uh, believe in the good news that we would be saved eternally, resurrected by the power of Christ. So he says in chapter 8, I'm going to die, and I'm third, third day I'm going to rise up but they just can't get it. So you get to Mark chapter nine and uh, Jesus is taking them up under the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm just watching my time here. Try to go as short as I can on these. Three minutes, all right. So you, I think on Twitch, you'll be able to see the text in front of you on the screen if you're watching it. Mark chapter nine, verse one. And Jesus was saying to them, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after It has come with power. Now, there's been some people over the years, like a noted atheist Bertrand Russell, who took issue with this text and said he couldn't believe in Jesus because he felt like Jesus got it wrong. He felt like these disciples actually died before the kingdom of God came. And of course, Bertrand Russell would say, you know, uh, looking at what the church has taught about revelation, that's when the kingdom comes in the future day that hasn't happened. So he said, hey, Jesus either lied or got it wrong. Well, in reality, what Jesus is doing here is the kingdom of God is coming, as Jesus always said, in seed form. It's going to start small and it's going to keep expanding. And it's going to, like he said about the seed that goes in the ground and then a a tree uh, grows up, a huge tree, and all the birds of the air uh, will nest in it. And so that's, you know, the birds um, metaphorically represent the Gentile nations. All peoples will come into that kingdom of God. So it starts small. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he taught us in the prayer, the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done already in heaven. So the kingdom has come in Christ, and they're actually going to see a even greater taste of it here on the Mount of Transfiguration. And of course, they're going to see it in the crucifixion and the resurrection, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And the disciples were still very much alive when all this happened. So six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his inner core disciples, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. He took on a new uh look, as we see in, in Revelation, where he comes back and he has this white robe and he's got this, you know, very powerful demeanor. He's no longer the suffering servant, but he's come as this uh, demon-slaying king uh, with a sword of his mouth, you know, wiping out people in Revelation. It's a very powerful image of Jesus. But this is where we see him kind of transfigure for a moment into that radiant, holy, overwhelmingly amazing God-man. And so his garments become radiant, imaging this uh, purity of Jesus, exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So this is very interesting. So the Jews knew, and uh, the uh, disciples will say here at some point in this text that, hey, the scribes say in verse eleven that Elijah must come first. Well, Jesus says yes, Elijah does come first in verse twelve and restores all things. And yet, how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So Elijah was known to come at the very uh, at the end or when the kingdom uh, began. And so, what we have here is an interesting. Uh, account, it's kind of ties a bunch of biblical theological themes together. So in Malachi chapter four, the very last prophet, the very last book uh, of the old covenant, at least the way that we put our Bibles together, but it's definitely the last prophet. And there was the period of silence. And then of course, Jesus Christ comes or John the Baptist precedes him. And Elijah is stated to come in Malachi. It says, Elijah will come at the very end. And right before that in Malachi 4, you can check it out. It talks about keeping this law of Moses. And so Moses is also highlighted there at the very end of the old covenant. And so what's going on there throughout the old Testament, you've got this new covenant, or excuse me, the old covenant that came with Moses. So it was a type of kingdom that was being established, an earthly kingdom that was being seen on on earth through the nation of Israel. So Moses' Old Covenant is there. And then the prophets begin to speak about the weakness of the Old Covenant and the need for something new to t- take place. That's where you see Ezekiel 36. You see Jeremiah 31, very powerful text that's repeated in Hebrews. And then you also see uh, uh, Isaiah speak heavily uh, about this sort of new exodus, uh, this, um, this new coming out of a slavery, which the old covenant in some way brought them to. And Israel constantly had trouble keeping the law of Moses. So they're going to come out, this new exodus, and they're going to come into a new kingdom. And the prophecies of Isaiah reveal this new kingdom. come. So, so uh, uh, excuse me, Isaiah does that. But of course, Elijah is spoken about in those prophets about him coming at the very end. So what's also interesting too, is that Elijah uh, doesn't die. He's taken up in the chariots of fire. And then Moses we see in Jude, his body is, uh, is is fought over, but there's some mystery there about him going up on the mountain. Of course, we think he dies, but I don't know, Was he? did he just uh, translate into heaven? So it's interesting that maybe these two never experienced death the way that we're accustomed to it. But again, we do have that text in Jude that might uh, correct me on Moses, but Elijah definitely didn't taste death. One of the just couple people who didn't. So it's very interesting. They appear here at the end. That's his little tidbit. They appear here uh, at the transfiguration, and I think what's happening is is that Jesus is this one who is going to bring, he's the new Moses, going to bring uh, the people of God out of this slavery to the law, this old covenant way. He's going to bring them in this new exodus. He's going to establish the new kingdom as the son of David. And so Moses is sort of transferring over. He's saying, now you, Jesus, are taking Uh, you're taking it the rest of the way, man. And so Moses is there. Elijah is there, uh, obviously, to to establish the way, as as the prophets would say, that he was going to proclaim the way. And that's where John the Baptist becomes an interesting figure because he has the spirit of Elijah to proclaim the coming of Christ. So in this moment of the transfiguration, we see a glimpse of the kingdom transition, the turnover from the old covenant to the new covenant, in this Jesus Christ, who just said, he's going to die and rise again, and that is going to be the inbreaking of this new kingdom. And so he's trying to help the disciples kind of get a glimpse of that. Now the disciples don't get it, right? Peter, again, I love him, he's like us, he's foolish, He doesn't have any idea what's going on, even though Jesus has told him time and again, he's a rabbi, so he still doesn't quite understand the import of who Jesus is beyond just a teacher. It is good for us to be here, let us make three tabernacles, three places of refuge or worship, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So he wasn't getting the, the superiority, in the uh, as the book of Hebrews teaches us, the the ultimate figure of Jesus far above Moses and the prophets and Elijah. And then, of course, at that moment, uh, and of course, it says, he uh, verse six, he didn't know what the answer because they were terrified, which you and I would be too. Verse seven. A cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, and this is the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. I'm at a minute 11 here. I'm going to try to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. Listen to Him. He did that at His baptism, which was the first in breaking a revelation of who Jesus was. But then Jesus waits for a time into chapter 8, fully reveals Himself to the disciples. And then in chapter 9, even more so, Shows who he really is, and that, that he is the Son of God. That he is the only one throughout the history of the nation of Israel, of, the, of all the peoples of God, uh, the peoples that God has made, all the way back to Adam, who's called the Son of God, who failed, and then you've got Noah, who fails as the Son of God. You've got uh, Israel and Abraham; they fail as the Son of God and continue to sin and break the covenant. Uh, all everyone fails. David, Solomon, Moses, all the figures, but then the true son of God, Jesus Christ comes to the Mount Transfiguration and shows the disciples by his transformation, but also by the word of the father, declaring again, that this is my son, my one and only son, the only one who's perfect and is, is perfectly mine. And so listen to him. And essentially the father is saying to him only. Then a cloud formed, uh, excuse me, verse eight, all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. So at that moment we see the transitioning to the new covenant. Interestingly though, uh, the two witnesses that come at the end of the book of Revelation uh, that preach in Jerusalem and then get struck down and then rise up and have all these powers. Um, some pe- people think it's Elijah and Moses again. And that may be because there's this weird period where we're in where the, again, kingdom has come at the cross and resurrection, but it's still being worked out. It's already happened, but it's not yet kind of mystery, right? But then at the end in revelation, all loose ends get tied up. The kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of man. Uh, it's completed. And so maybe that's why, uh, Elijah and Moses come again at that end point of the kingdom, uh, being completed where they come here in the transfiguration, uh, the kingdom being, uh, initiated or inaugurated. So that's, that's kind of interesting to see that possibly be Elijah and Moses at the end, which ties together all these biblical theological themes that I'm trying to rush through with you. But here we go. Verse uh, 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. Again, there's Jesus not wanting anyone to get the wrong idea because the disciples clearly did, and so do so many, that he's just an earthly king come to bring a political empire. And he's not. He's coming to bring something far more expansive and greater and better for all of us, for you and me. Kingdoms rise and fall. In fact, that's something we need to think about even now as we look at all the issues in our day with Corona and all the stuff, the riots and and people upset at each other and the the polarization of this country. That we're going to look at a, a, can you imagine 2020 election year? It's, it's going to be the, a gladiatorial combat. It's going to be the worst campaign uh, there were was, was some pretty bad ones in the late 1700s, early 1800s, but this is going to be awful. And um, I think what we have to realize is this: that is not our ultimate objective is to try to win our political uh, battles and to establish some kind of earthly paradise or kingdom or utopia here with our ideals. We, we have to see something greater. It's a kingdom to come. It's a heavenly kingdom. And that's clearly what is being taught here and throughout the New Testament. And again, here it says, they asked him saying, why is it that the scribes say, Elijah must come first? And Jesus, again, to close up in verse 12 and 13, Elijah did come and he just came with transfiguration. And he also came in John the Baptist or the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of this proclaiming one or declaring one of this true son of man, true son of God. Um, And of course, Jesus says, then I will suffer and be treated with contempt. Um, Verse 13, you can read that there, but that closes us up for today. Uh, If you have any questions, you can email me at jason Mm -hmm. at cornerstoneyc.com. I'm excited to get back into these and to just help us get rooted in the word. We desperately need the word of God more than anything else. We need truth to set us free. We are getting so distracted uh, as a people broadly but also as a people of Christ getting way too distracted on earthly things we need to keep our minds fixated on things above and that will help us actually make huge impact on earth c s lewis once famously said um, those who uh, have thought more most those who have thought most about um, the other world the world to come uh, have, have been the ones to bring about the most good in this world, right? So the more uh, heavenly focused you are, you might think that you're no longer earthly good. But what Lewis is right about is the more you fixate on the things above, on the earth, on uh, the new earth, new heavens, the world to come, the more you're going to have a new perspective that allows you to serve in this world in radically different, supernaturally oriented, fearless uh, loving ways. That's what Jesus ultimately taught us. He was so transfixed on his ultimate mission for the kingdom of his father, the heavenly realities that he did the most good of any human being that's ever lived on this earth. So that's what we as Christians need to do. Stay in the word. I love you guys. I, uh, Thank you for letting me go a little bit longer. I normally go 10, 11, 12 minutes. I went 17 minutes, and that's because I'm trying to figure out all this technology. And those that are listening to this podcast, uh, without seeing it, you would laugh. I've got lights all around me, GoPro on the stick. I've got a mic in front of me. It's crazy town technology here, but hopefully you'll still find some encouragement from this lengthy uh, look at the Mount of Transfiguration experience with Jesus and the disciples in Mark 9. Love you. We'll talk to you. Um, See you tomorrow. Thanks for taking a few minutes today to dive into the Word of God with me. I always love hearing your feedback and questions. So You can email me at jason at cornerstoneyc.com. Looking forward to continue in the Word of God with you as we seek shelter from the storm in Jesus Christ.